Well, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn once again to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. And if the Lord wills, this will be the last time we say this for a while because Lord willing, we will later be going into Ephesians 6. But Ephesians chapter 5, and we want to continue looking at what the Bible has to say about marriage. Marriage between a believing husband and a believing wife. And so we come this morning to these verses in Ephesians chapter 5. And we want to look at verses 31 through 33. The title of the message is, The Husband and Wife Leaving Parents. And so Ephesians chapter 5, and I want to begin reading in verse 31. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus says this, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So today, like I said, we finish this section on husbands and wives, and as we finish, we come to a most important matter, a most practical matter, really one that's probably in this day and age, something that's sort of forgotten. It's not given much emphasis to. And as we've seen, there's one thing that's stressed here to husbands more than anything else, and that is this. There's to be this oneness that is here. There's to be this unity that exists between a husband and a wife. A husband should think of his wife as his own self. As his own body, as, as an extension of himself. Just like he loves himself, just like he loves his own body, he is to love his wife in the same way. So he's not to consider himself, not to think of himself as a detached man anymore. Not to think of himself as a single man. Not to think of himself as someone who is his own. And never to think of himself ever without considering her and because this is true and we looked at that last time we looked at that we spent a lot of time looking at that truth we wanted to nail that down because because that is true well there is something else that must be done something that is absolutely vital to the health and well-being of the marriage look at verse 31 it says for this reason for, for what reason? Well, he just told us in verses 28 through 30. Husbands ought to love their own wives as they love their own bodies. So again, there's this oneness. There's this unity that is there. There's this love that is spoken of that is here. The picture is Christ. The picture is Christ and his church. And so because of that picture, that is what men are to emulate toward their wives. And so now we're told in the same verses, look at it, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The one flesh bond is established at marriage, but there's something else that is established as a result of that. When the man and the woman are married, both the man and the woman enter into brand new roles 
brand new roles. Something new has come into being. And as a result of something new coming into being, well, now relationships have changed. I mean, the th things are different. And one of the things that has to happen is there must be a leaving and there must be now a cleaving. What does it mean for a man to leave his father and mother and to cleave to his wife? And that word cleave, that's a strange word because literally the word can mean to separate or it can mean to stick together. So it's a weird word, isn't it? But in this case, it means to stick together. It means to stick together. So this morning, I want us to understand that. So we're going to look at this under five headings. You've got them all in your bulletin. There's a lot that's here. So we want to go ahead and get into this. So the first thing I want you to notice with me is this. I want you to see the definition negative. I want, I want us to see the negative aspect of this. In other words, let's first of all talk about what this doesn't mean. What this doesn't mean. Look at the verse 31 again. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. Now, what does that not mean? Well, first of all, it does not mean that now that you're married, that you have nothing to do with your parents anymore. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that 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 when, when you're married, that now it results in isolation from your parents. And, it, you know, it may not seem that that needs to be mentioned, but I have found through my years of ministry that there is this this idea that is out there there are some people who when they get married they have this idea that well, now they just want to isolate themselves it's just me and my bride it's just me and my wife and they want to isolate themselves from their family they want to push away from that there wants to be a barrier there and and, and the husband just looks at his wife and he says honey from now on it is just you and me and there are no other family relationships that we need to be involved with. There are some husbands who have that idea. There are hu some husbands who seek to live that way. And I want to start off right from the beginning saying that is not what this verse teaches. Not at all. Not at all. Second thing, nor does it justify ever treating your parents in a harsh way or an unkind way. It doesn't mean that, that you're right to treat them with no consideration. I mean, it, it means none of these things. As a matter of fact, the Bible is clear that we are to give our parents two types of considerations. Number one, we're to give them this general consideration. Uh, in other words, we ought to love our parents. We ought to care for our parents. We ought to treat our parents in a right way, in a good way in a kind way. Just think for a moment about, about the common Christian love that we're to give to everybody. I mean, think about that. So think about that, grab that, and now let me ask you this question. Do you think your parents deserve less than that kind of love? The kind of love that Scripture calls you to give to everyone? You say, what kind of love is that? Well, for example, the Bible teaches us that we are to love our neighbor. We're to love our neighbor. And so certainly if we're to love our neighbor, then yes, we're to love our own parents. Galatians chapter 5.14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And of all things, your parent would be your neighbor. 
The Bible teaches us that we're to love our enemies, right? We're to love our enemies. You say, you say, uh, okay, I heard what you said about loving my neighbor and the general kind of love. But listen, you ju- you do not know my parents. You do not know the issues that are in our household. You do not know how my parents have treated me. And because of the way they have treated me, that they have left this deep down scar in my life. And so now, now there's this bitterness that I have within me. And now there's this, uh, this, this estrangement that we have in our family. And we have this because of what they did. We have this because they treated me the the way they treated me and they treated me wrong as I grew up. And basically what you're saying is that's why it makes them my enemy. And the Bible says you're to love your enemy. You're to love your enemy. Matthew 5, 44, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Luke chapter 6, verse 27, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Luke chapter 6, verse 35, But love your enemies. Are we getting the message here right? <laughs> but love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself, listen to this, He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Would you go so far as to say, my parents, what they did to me, it was evil. I want to tell you, your Lord is kind and loving toward evil men this verse says so if our father in heaven is kind and and kind to ungrateful and evil people then certainly certainly even if we have had ungrateful and evil parents we ought to love them the bible teaches in general that we're just to treat others like we would want to be treated Matthew chapter 7 verse 12 and everything therefore treat people the same way you want them to treat you for this is the law and the prophets so if you just take everything that the Bible teaches about how we're to treat everybody here this verse cannot be teaching that you don't treat your parents in a right way absolutely not it doesn't teach that so our parents are due a general concern a general consideration, but not only that, it goes a step farther. Our parents are not only due a general consideration by us, our parents are due a special consideration. The Bible teaches, first of all, that we should respect our parents. And listen, that gets that gets reflected in how we treat older members in our own church body, how we treat older members in the congregation. We're to think of older members as a father or as a mother. That is what Scripture calls us to do. We're to think of younger church members in the congregation like a brother or like a sister. Listen to this. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. So if I am not to rebuke an older man in the congregation, if I am not to sharply rebuke him, but what this says is I'm rather to appeal to him, 
as a father, if that is the case, well then, certainly, certainly, with my own father, I am to appeal to him in this way as well. It shows respect. We are to respect our parents. The Bible teaches we're to honor our parents. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. The word honor there means to fix the value. In other words, this is what you're to do. This is what God expects you to do. He expects you to value your father and your mother. You set a value on them that the Lord does. We're to honor them. As a matter of fact, turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. I want you to see this. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Because I want you to see what the Bible teaches that as believers, we're also to care for our parents. We're to care for them, even in their old age. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4, listen to this. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. And then notice verse 8, it says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Why does he say he is worse than an unbeliever? Well, because an unbeliever is ignorant of God's standards. Uh, an unbeliever is ignorant of God's standards, but we're not ignorant of that, right? We know, we understand what the standards of God is. Uh, an unbeliever does not have the love of God operating in their heart. The love of God has not been poured down into their heart. But we know what that love is. We understand. We have the capacity now to love with that kind of supernatural love. Believers have that. And so if we don't care for our own parents... This says we're worse than an unbeliever. You know why? Because, here's why, you know better and you can do better. You know the truth and you have the supernatural love of God poured into your heart so that therefore you can exercise the truth. That is why you are worse than an unbeliever if you will not provide for your own family. But he also says this, it is a denial of the faith. It is a denial of the faith. It says in verse 8, he has denied the faith. Listen, when you don't care, professing Christian, when you don't care about your parents, that is denying the faith that you claim to believe because everything, certainly everything the Lord has taught us, it all has to do with loving service, doesn't it? loving service. If we don't love our parents, if we don't serve our parents, if as this says, we don't give some return to our parents, then he says we deny the faith. Because the faith is all about serving. It's all about being a servant. So when he says in our text, in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 31, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, this does not mean cut off your family. It doesn't mean that. Now, second, I want you to see what it does mean. So, number two, the definition, again, yes, but positive. What does it mean? What does it mean? Well, it means that when you get married, 
Now you have moved into a brand new role in your life and that a man must conscientiously take into account what that role is and a wife, a wife must also conscientiously take into account what that role is. And not only must they take into account and know what the role is, they must act accordingly. They must live that out. So he, the husband, must now think of himself in a brand new way. Let me just say this before we continue on. Uh, as I look at this, I believe what this chiefly refers to is, is how we think. How we are to think about this. Really more than, more than anything else, it, it, it gets to the heart of how we think about these things. How we ascertain these things. How we hold to these things. And so now, this man must act in accordance with that new role that he's been given by God. And so therefore he must think, he must think in a brand new way, a whole different way about himself than he has ever thought about himself before. And he must think of his wife in an appropriate way, in a biblical way in this sense. And get this, he has to also think of his parents in a brand new way. That's what this calls for. That's what this verse teaches. You say, well, okay, if that's the case, this thing has a lot of fallout, a lot of, uh, a lot of things that it affects here. Well, then what exactly is this new role? Well, let me just try to give it to you in a nutshell here, and then we're going to look at it in more detail. What it basically means when he says, look at it again in our text, when he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, what that means is this, this man is no longer subservient to his parents. No longer. You, you are no longer to think of yourself as being under the authority of your parents. You know why? Because you're not. You're not. Before you were married, your family had a head. And the head of your family was your father. He was the head of your family. And not only were you under the authority of your father, but because your father was the head of your mother, you were also under the authority of your mother as well. So before you were married, men, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 applies to you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And understand there, when you look at that word children there, there are two Greek words for children. One talks about an itty-bitty child, a little child, and the other one just talks about your child. In other words, you've got parents. And the Greek word for children is not the one about the small little child. It's the other one. It is, in essence, unmarried children. We'll look at that close, more closely later on. But it's basically, basically just means offspring. Offspring. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And so, men, before you were married, before you were married, you were under the authority of your parents. But now, now that you're married, now that there has been this one flesh bond that has been established between you and your wife, that means that there is a brand new kinship union that is now coming to being. And so now you, you, husband, you are now the head of a brand new family unit. Your father used to be the head, but now you are the head. 
It's not your father anymore. You are the head of a new family unit. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says, But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. And so the man, the Bible says, is the head of a woman, is the head of his wife. So when you got married, you became a brand new head. And so now there's this brand new family unit that is now coming to being. We already saw it in Ephesians 5, didn't we? As a matter of fact, look up at verse 23. For the husband is what? What, what to his wife? What does the Bible say? The husband is what? The head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. So when the body says you are to leave mom and you are to leave dad, and now you are to join to, you are to stick to, you are to cleave to your wife, what this is chiefly speaking about is this, now this brand new family unit has come into being, and now your father is no longer head over you. He's no longer head over you. Now you are the head and you are the head of this woman. You are the head over your wife. So the question is this, okay? So now how does this apply? How does this apply? Well, first of all, it speaks to the man, doesn't it? It speaks to the man. It speaks to this new husband and it speaks to the new husband Really, I think in at least three ways. First of all, it speaks to the husband about their desires. About their desires. Before a man is married, as he grows up as a young man in his home, and, uh, and I want to tell you, you young men who are in homes right now, if you are a young Christian man, I know what your desires are. Your desire is that you want to please your mom, and you want to please your dad. Your desire is that you want to come under their authority and you want to obey them. You have a father you want to be obedient to and you have a mother that you want to be obedient to as a Christian young man. That is what you long to do because that is what your Lord would have you to do. And so that is your life. So not only do you want to please the Lord, but you also want to please them as well in your household. And so as you get older and older, as your parents allow you to make your decisions, how will you make your decisions? How will you go about the decision-making process? Here's how you're going to make your decisions. Number one, what will the Lord think about this? But then number two, how will dad think about this? How will mom think about this thing? What will dad say about this? What would mom say about this? And so as, you're, as you get older and as you grow older, you're, you're thinking in those patterns. What will please my mom? What will please my dad? How are they going to respond? How are they going to react? And when they, you think about decisions that you're making, those are, those are the pathways that you're thinking of there. And sometimes what happens is this, that when a man gets married, he doesn't make a shift in his thinking. His thinking doesn't shift. And so here he is, he's married, he's part of this one flesh union, he is now part, uh, the head of this new family unit, he is the head of a woman, he is the head of his wife, but he continues to go on in terms of thinking about 
what would please his parents. And I want to tell you, this verse is teaching that that kind of thinking is inappropriate. That that kind of thinking is wrong. That there's been a, a change. There's been a shift. And so husbands, you need to make a shift in your thinking. You need to make a change in your thinking. Listen, your first desire in a, as a Christian husband, your first desire is not to please your parents. Your first desire as a Christian husband is to please the Lord, number one. And then second, it is to do right by your wife. That should be your desire. That, that's, that's how you have to think about things. And so this verse teaches us that for a man, his wife must come first. After the Lord Jesus Christ, his wife must now come first. It cannot be the Lord Jesus Christ and then my parents and then my wife. That's not what this is saying. No, a real change has occurred. There's been a real uh, one flesh bond that has been created, that has come into being. And so now, in your desires, in your desires, you must leave your father and mother. You must cleave to your wife. You must now take up this brand new responsibility. And now, now there's this change. Now it's the Lord and now your wife. Your wife. So this speaks to a man about his desires. But second, it also speaks to a man, a second area about the issue of deference, to defer. Okay, so what do we have? We have desires and now we have deference. When you were at home, before you were married, you not only desired to please your parents, but you did what? You deferred to your parents, didn't you? You deferred to them. When, when there were in the household, when there were these uh, disputed matters, when there were these disagreements, as a Christian young man, as a Christian young man, what did you do? You actually came under their authority, didn't you? You actually submitted yourself to their authority. They are the ones who made those decisions whenever there were disagreements. So if there was a disagreement between your father and your mother and you, who won? Well, if you were raised in a Christian home, your parents did, right? They're the ones who won. And you submitted, didn't you? Or at least you should have submitted, okay? We'll say that, all right? You should have submitted. So, when the Lord tells us here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, now you have this new family unit. And guess what? You no longer defer to your parents. You no longer defer to your parents. You're not under their authority. And again, I must stress this, that this involves a shift in the man's thinking. His thinking has to change. If he marries a woman, but he is constantly deferring to his parents, if he still thinks and acts as if he is still under their authority, well, let me just say it this way. If, if, if he allows his parents to always be overruling the decisions that him and his wife makes, I want to tell you, that is going to inject trouble into the family. You say, how do you know that's going to inject trouble into the family? Because this says you're not supposed to do it. That's how I know. If they are constantly overruling you and your wife's decisions, 
there's going to be trouble in the marriage because that is not how God designed for this marriage to operate. He is now the head. There is now a new family that is here. He's not under the authority anymore of his parents. And you know what? Sometimes, and both with husbands and with wives, but sometimes, especially in new marriage, I want to tell you this. This requires a real stand by the man in the marriage. Whether we see it coming from the side of the wife or whether we see it coming from the side of the husband, sometimes the husband is going to have to take a stand here. Now, listen, as we said before, you always love your parents, right? You always respect your parents. You always honor your parents. All those things we just talked about. But what I want to tell you this, husbands, you must draw the line. You must draw the line when parents want to treat you and your wife as if you are both still under their authority. You have to draw that line there. And you ought to do it very respectfully. But let me say, if need be, you need to do it very firmly as well. You need to because anything else argues against what we have seen a marriage is supposed to be everything else so you're not under the authority of your parents anymore and so this speaks of your desires who do you really want to please it's interesting let me just give you this real quick it's interesting first corinthians chapter 7 verses 32 and 33 listen to this paul writes but i want you to be free from concern one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his what? His wife. His wife. So when he talks about the sort of divided heart that you'll naturally have when you get married, you know, Paul says to be single, you can be totally, totally devoted to, to Christ. When you get married, you're devoted to Christ, but also you must be devoted to a wife as well. So when he's talking about that, that sort of rightful divided heart, he doesn't say here for a man, uh, for the man thinks about how to please his parents does. He doesn't say that. No, he says, but the one who is married is concerned about how to please his wife, his wife. So in the realm of desires, there has to be this shift. In the, in the matter of deference, deferring, there has to be this, this shift. There's also a third area where this shift occurs, and it is in the area of dependence. Dependence. Who is responsible to take care of this brand new family unit? Is it your family? Is it your family that's responsible for it? Now, uh, I, I, know, I know the Lord meets your needs, so we're not talking about that, but we're talking about in terms of human responsibility, in terms of human accountability. To whom does the responsibility fall? And I want to tell you this, husbands, it falls to you. It falls to you. It's not up to your parents to take care of you financially. It's not up to your wife to take care of you financially. No, the responsibility falls to you. Scripture says the husband is to take this up. Now, very quickly, this gets to a very practical question here that, that people ask. And the question is this, okay, well, if that's the case, is it, <coughs> excuse me, is it wrong? Is it wrong for parents to ever help their children out financially? Is it wrong for parents to ever 
help their children out materially? Is it wrong? I would say to you, I think the answer is very obvious there. Now, I don't believe that that is wrong. I don't think that that is sinful for a young couple to receive uh, financial help or material help from their parents. And again, I think we can look to Scripture to see sort of an example of this. When you go to Acts chapter 2, and in that first church, what do you see? You see strangers who are helping other people. Strangers who are helping other people that they did not know before receive help. So if we can go from sort of the general to the specific, so if I can receive help from a stranger, and that's not considered sinful, well then certainly I can receive help from my own flesh and blood. Absolutely. So so the Bible is not teaching that that you know we can't help one another, but and listen, this is very, very important. But if this shift that we're talking about has not occurred in the thinking, if a, if a man gets married and he still thinks in his mind and heart that he is depending upon his parents to meet his new family's material needs, to meet their financial needs, then I want to tell you, he has violated the scriptures. He has went contrary to the scriptures. When the Bible says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, there's this new family unit that comes into being. And what he's saying to this man is this. Look, she is now a part of you. She is now a part of you. You, you are her head. And so as such, it is your responsibility. Head, it is your responsibility to provide for her and to care for her. And so right away, we get the picture. Right away, we, we sort of understand this, that, that if he wants a wife, if he desires to be married, then he must consider this matter. He must consider this, this matter of, of dependence, and he must be ready to take up this brand new role. So when we think about, well, what does this mean? How does this apply to a husband? Three areas it applies in. The area of desires, the area of deference and the area of dependence. But I want to tell you this. It doesn't just speak to husbands, does it? It doesn't just speak to husbands. It speaks to Christian parents as well. This speaks to parents because this is what the Lord wants for your son. And if this is what the, what the Lord wants for your son, then Christian parents are to teach this to their sons right? And so as Christian parents, we ought to be encouraging our children really in all three of these areas. We ought to be saying to our sons that when it comes to your desires, in regard to your desires, when they get married, we need to be saying, okay, now son, when it comes to your desires and what you desire to do, son, you need to understand this. When you get married, your first consideration should not be after pleasing the Lord. It should not be pleasing us. Son, you need to understand that will not be how you should be thinking from this point on. It should be different. As long as you're obeying the Lord, son, the next person you ought to be concerned with more than anyone else is your wife. It is your wife. And so as parents, we ought to be teaching our sons that. And with regard to sons wanting to, to defer, wanting to defer their decisions to 
to parents whenever your son because he is a Christian young man he has loved you for so many years he has respected you for so many years he's just sort of in that mode and in that train that when your son begins to want you to make decisions for him and to make decisions for his family and he wants to still continue to be submissive to your choices and submissive to your decisions I want to tell you this we as Christian parents have to teach our boys no son listen you are now married son you are now the head of a brand new family you have a wife son you need to understand you're, you're not you're not to be submitted to us anymore you're, you're not to be you have to seek the Lord and you have to to believe uh, you have to do what you believe the Lord wants you to do. Now, of course, yes, yes, a thousand times yes. We are there to give you counsel. We are there to, to encourage you. We are there to give you any kind of direction, any kind of help we can. But as far as you being submitted to whatever we say, you are no longer to be submitted to us in this way. Not at all. As Christian parents, we also have to encourage them in the area of dependence. If we see that somehow our sons are sort of crippled in their dependence upon us, then we have to make we have to encourage them to make choices and encourage them, son, no, you take up the responsibility. Son, you take this up. You be that leader. You be, you be that provider in the home that God would have you to be. Or if they're in a position where where we, we do have the opportunity to help them and we want to help them financially, we want to help them materially and we need to know that we need to do it in such a way that it does not interfere with his brand new role as his head in this family. And so yes, can we help them materially? Absolutely. Can we help them financially? Absolutely. But I want to tell you this, we need to do it with no strings attached. We need to do it in such a sense that, yes, we're going to help you, but you know what? You, now you don't have to worry about, even though we're helping you, you don't have to worry about our desire. Uh, now as we're helping you, you don't have to worry about deferring to us or submitting to us because we're helping you. And I want to tell you, if you're going to help your children, but you're going to attach those strings to it, then I would recommend this. Don't help them at all. Because if you're attaching that to them, you're wanting to make them go against what Scripture is teaching right here. And you're wanting them to take, because you're giving them something, you're wanting them to take your gift and with it, you're wanting them to come under your authority and accountability when they have a brand new household that is formed. So what does this mean? Well, what does it does what it doesn't mean? First of all, it doesn't mean cutting your parents off. We talked about that. What it does mean is we have this change that has truly occurred, and now you must think in this brand new direction. And and this is going to have a practical result in how you live. But chiefly, it's going to be in the area of your mind. It's going to be how you think, and you must change the way you think about things. And like we said, it's not just about thinking, uh, changing thinking with the children you know, the husband and the wife, it's got to be a change in thinking with the parents as well. We parents have to think in a brand new way. Why is that? Because when he got married, when she got married, there was a brand new family unit that came into being. 
And now there's a brand new head there. And, and Dad, you're not the head anymore. There's a brand new head that is coming to being. So third, I want you to notice this. The duty. What is the duty? And we'll start off with the husbands, first of all. Because what this does is this imparts some new responsibilities for the husband. Look at verse 31 again. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. You'll notice in verse 33, he's summing up here what we already learned, really. He's repeating himself. I love that because that's what all good preachers do, right? <laughs> they repeat themselves. And so this is what Paul is doing here. Now, why does he do this? Why does he do this? Well, he, he does this, no doubt, just to summarize it, just, just to sort of press it down on us, just to sort of make it heavy on our hearts as, as we finish this section. I think that's one reason why he does it. But I think that there's another reason that he does this as well, why he repeats it. So if you look at it, the thought would be like this for this man, this husband that has just gotten married. The thought would be like this. Okay, now I'm the head of a woman. Now we have this new family unit that has come into being here. And whereas before my father was the head of the home, well, now I'm to be the head of the home. And so now, as soon as he realizes that, as soon as he really grabs a hold of that, now... This man, this new husband, he is going to be subject to a temptation, a very great temptation here. And what is that temptation? It is this, the temptation to misunderstand his leadership role. The temptation to sort of become this dictator where he says to the young wife, okay, I got it now. My dad's not the head anymore. I'm the new head now. And so you just follow me, okay? And, and that's it. It's a great temptation to just sort of take up this new role positionally and not to think of it biblically, not to think of it correctly. And so the Lord is reminding this husband again in verse 33, after talking about leaving father and mother, after talking about being joined to his wife, cleaving to his wife, he's reminding again that, listen, new husband, the man is to never ever lead his wife in a dictator-like fashion. Don't be an overlord in your home. That's what he's saying here. But rather, as we talked about before, he leads in a loving fashion. Look at verse 33. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife, even as himself. So if you're involved in a new marriage, or even if you've been married for, for many years and, and you're struggling with these issues, you need to realize this. You think of your new role not as an opportunity to lord it over someone, not as an opportunity to, to, to lead someone even, but as an opportunity to love someone. And out of that love, the leadership will come. That's what he's saying right here. You say, wow, I have a new opportunity to love someone. Kind of step back from the lead someone part, but say a new opportunity to love someone. And out of the love for this new person, this new wife that I have, I will lead them out of it. And that's how he says we ought to think about it. 
Listen to this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. What does it mean to love your wife? Well, right here, it means don't be bitter toward them. That's what it means right there. That's, that's one aspect of it, of it. To love your wife. It's not to be, not to be harsh with her. Not to be bitter towards her. And I want to tell you, there are some men, when they think of leadership, they think of it in completely wrong ways. Completely wrong ways. And one of the results of that is this. I'm the leader of this home. You follow me. You obey me. And they are very, very harsh to their wives. Very harsh. They're, they're commanding. They're dictating all the time. And probably most every husband that we have in this place, if they were honest, would say, hey, I've fallen into those those sort of wavelengths every once in a while. Hopefully not very long before there's repentance. But that's just kind of our natural bent to be like a little drill sergeant, you know, in our own homes. And so we just bark out orders all the time. But sometimes it goes past that. And you have husbands who are treating their wives very, very roughly, treating her in a rough manner with their attitudes, a rough manner with their words. I want to tell you this, mark it down, men. That is not love. That is not love. That's why the Apostle Paul said back in verse 28, look back there. He says, so husbands ought to also love their own wives. How? As their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves whom? Himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. How do you serve as a head? The way you serve as a head is you look at your wife and you say, she is me. She is my body. And so you love her like you love you. The whole reason you're walking into the house acting like a little Hitler is because you're so selfish. You really love yourself. And so Scripture says, not in that sinful way, but Scripture is just acknowledging you love yourself. She is now part of you. Don't look at yourself, like we said last time, don't look at yourself, see how you love yourself, and then apply it to her. No, look at yourself and continue to love yourself, but realize she's part of you. So now you're loving her as well. And so this is how you're to treat her, Scripture says. So for the first time, you can say, here's someone in my life and they are, they are so joined to me that it's like they're my own body. And so now, now I'm to love her in that sort of way. So husbands, that is your new responsibility. Now, fourth, what about the duty of wives? What about the duty of wives? Because now this also gives a new responsibility to a wife. Now, let me ask you this. As I've told you before, one of the things I do whenever I, Monday morning, early Monday morning, when I'm reading over the next set of verses that we're going to look at, is I just read them over and over and over, and I just write out observations, write out questions. One of the questions that I wrote on my legal pad was this. Verse 31, look at it. It says, for this reason, now, what are the next two words? A man, right? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. A man shall leave his father and mother. So the question I wrote down was this. Why is there not a corresponding word to the wives? 
for this reason a man, why isn't there a, for this reason, a woman? Oh, we, we don't have that there, do we? There's no, for this reason, a wife shall leave her father and mother and be joined to the husband, and the two shall become one flesh. So why not? Why is there not a, a corresponding word to the wife here? There are other corresponding words all throughout this section. So, so why not here? And we can say it again. Because the chief point of this verse has to do with what? It has to do with a new head. It has to do with a new family unit. And so we need to understand this man is going to do something that this woman will never, ever, ever do. There's something new here. This man is going to become something that this woman will never, ever, ever in her whole lifetime become here. He is going to become a head to a woman. Now understand this. A woman, even whenever she leaves her family, when she leaves her home to be married, even though she does that, yes, she will never ever leave to become a head of a brand new family unit. You see, Scripture tells us that the woman is in a position of submission to her father and her mother until she gets married. And when she gets married, when she takes a husband to herself, she moves from being in a position of deference and a position of submission to another position of deference and another position of submission. But what she doesn't do is she never forms a new head. And that is why there's no corresponding word here. She goes from being submitted to her parents to being submitted to her husband. And so what this does is this speaks to the woman really in the same sorts of way that it speaks to a husband, yet, yet in a slightly different way. So, so let's just run through the three again. So first of all, she should consider her desires. Her desires. Because same for her, there was a time when you had this Christian young lady, this Christian young woman, and as she grew up in a Christian home, she not only thought of pleasing the Lord, but she also thought about pleasing her parents, pleasing her mom, pleasing her dad. And so she thought of that. And ladies, as soon as you get married, as soon as that happens, do you also realize that there's to be a shift in your thinking as well? Your thinking has to change. No longer is it, okay, number one, I please the Lord, and then number two, I please mom and dad. No, now is it is I seek the Lord, and now it is my desires are for my husband. I desire to, to please and submit to my husband. And so not only does it speak to that area, to desires, but it also speaks, just like with the man, it also speaks to the area of deference, to defer. Because when you allow the thinking of your parents to, to, to sway you more than the desires, more than the leadership, more than the teaching, more than the guidance of your husband, well, I want to tell you, you violate what this passage is teaching. You go against it. When, when you're constantly allowing your mother or you're constantly allowing your father to, to, to have more influence in your life than your own husband, it's wrong. You say, well, I understand that, but you just don't understand. He's 22 and dad is like 60. 
And, and, and dad has been such a wonderful husband and a wonderful father all these years. And all these years I've grown up there and I've seen him make good decision after good decision after good decision. And I saw how he, he has led my family. And I just have to tell you, just, just to be honest, you know, we're, we're such a new family. And I just have way more confidence in my dad. My dad has much more experience by, by a long shot. If that's the way you're thinking, I want to tell you this. Your, your thinking is wrong here. Because I want to tell you, it's not a matter of making better decisions here. It is a matter of God-given responsibility. It is a matter of a God-given position. It is a matter of a God-given role. Listen, let me just tell you this. Your new husband is going to make some hallmark, high watermark mistakes. It is going to happen. I want to ask you wives here. Can any of you wives give an amen to saying this? I, I have seen my husband make some bad, bad decisions in our marriage. Well, no, don't answer that, okay? Don't answer that. And please don't lift up your hand. I'm not, April, keep you. I'm not even going to look over there, okay? I'm not even going to look over there. But again, th th this is what it's all about. So, so it's not about who makes the better decisions. That is not what qualifies for, for all of this to come into being. The, the issue is not who makes better decisions. The issue is you have a new head. You have a new head. And listen, God is the one who put him there. God put him there. And listen, you're, you're going to grow together. This marriage thing, it's lifelong, right? It's supposed to be. And, and so you're going to grow together. And so just like the husband has to have a shift in his thinking, the wife has to have a shift in her thinking as well. So her desires, the Lord, then my husband, her deference, her submission, the Lord, then my husband. And then you know what else? There has to be a shift in terms of dependence. Dependence. Your dependence for your care, for, for your protection, for your provision, it must be shifted to your husband. Listen, some new wives, they're not going to be able to do that like they used to do. They're not going to be able to live like they used to do. You know what it used to be when we were with mom and dad? I could just jump in a car and I could go get the things I wanted to get and it was all, all good and fine. And, and, and all of a sudden, to be quite honest with you, I'm finding this whole sh thing strange. But budget, what is a budget? <laughs> and you know what? Yeah, there may be a couple of evenings you may have to eat ramen noodles just to make this whole thing, make the ends meet, right? But I want to tell you, this is what the Lord wills for your life. This is obedience to what the Lord has said. And just because you have a daughter and not a son does not mean you change your, uh, your teaching as Christian parents or that you don't change these things, or you don't teach these things. And I want to tell you this. <clears throat> it's funny how it comes to those little girls whenever you're a dad. I mean, those little, there's just something about those little girls, right? They just, they just have you just sort of wrapped around your finger. And you know what you think about as a dad. You're thinking about, okay, 
married, married, no one could ever take care of her like I can, right? No one could ever just provide for her and protect her like, like I did. So you know what? She's just going to stay home forever. I'm not, I'm not even going to think about all that. But, <laughs> but if you actually are one of us, one of these dads who you have let your daughter leave home, and she has left, and you know what it's like, and now you know what it is to, to not be her hero anymore. There's someone new in her life who is her hero. And now a dad has to know what that is like. A dad has to know what it is to be like that. And as a Christian dad, it is up to you, Christian dad, to talk to her and to encourage your daughter. The daughter, I love you so much, but, but you are to care more about his desires than you do mine. You are now to care about more about his decisions and what he thinks then you care about what dad would decide and what dad thinks and he actually has to watch his son-in-law work to provide for his daughter and he has to let that happen I want to tell you two of the hardest days in my life one day was when I walked down the aisle and I took Christina's hand out of my arm and I put it in the Caleb's arm. And then I walked up to go do the ceremony. I knew at that time that I had fallen to a far, far second. <laughs> if you count in Christ and then Caleb, I fell to a, a hard third, maybe even lower. You know, mom's probably mom's probably higher in there than I am as well. Who knows how, how far down I am. But anyway. So that was the first hard day. Second hard day is when I did that for Jenna. And we walked down the aisle, and I put her hand in Logan's. And I knew that from that day on, forever, things were going to be different. And you were not the main one in their life anymore to make decisions and to lead them. Now, because this is true, because this shift has occurred, I want you to notice what he re-emphasizes in verse 33 to the wife. He says, and the wife must see to it that she, what does the word of God say? That she respects her husband. That she respects her husband. And that Greek word has to do with fear. Has to do with reverence. Listen, wives, the word of God here says you should actually have an attitude of reverence for your husband. She respects his position in her life. Turn over to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. I want you to see this, 1 Peter chapter 3. Because you know what else? She has to respect his position. Listen, even, even when his choices or his lifestyle are not respectable. The Bible teaches that very clearly. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. It says, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word. Did you get that qualification there? Even if any of them are what? Disobedient to the word. They may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste. In other words, that speaks of purity. And what kind of behavior? Respectful. Respectful behavior. 
You say, well, hold on, wait, wait, wait a second. What do you mean? You mean I'm, I, I am to respect my husband even if he is disobedient to, to the word? That's what the verse teaches. That's what it says right there. Why? Because even if they are disobedient to the word, listen, they can see. They can observe. It says, observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And you know what? Let me tell you this, women. It should not just be on the outside either. It not ought to just be, okay, chaste behavior, yeah, respectful behavior. Here it is on the outside, but you're not going to get it down here in the heart. No, look at what it says. Verse 3, your adornment, adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. This is so precious in the sight of God. Let me ask you something, ladies. Do you care about that? Do you care about what is precious in the sight of God here? Do you care about what, what God actually loves? Do you care about what, what, what God enjoys? Do you care about what He values? Well, this says that these things are valuable to Him. He says He values in a woman a quiet spirit. He values in a woman a gentle spirit. And you know what kind of demeanor He's describing here? He is describing that quiet, gentle godly inner life that listen only the Holy Spirit can produce that's what he's talking about here and if you want to know whether this is a truly Christian thing just just look around the world and you'll just recognize that this is not what the world teaches no they teach exactly the opposite that their attitudes the world does not teach a woman today to be gentle the world does not teach a woman today to be quiet in her spirit what does the world teach women to be to be loud to be boisterous to be forceful and demanding but that is not God's teaching verse 5 for in this way in former times the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands just as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear so she called him Lord what does that mean it was just a, a respectful way of addressing him in that day now listen that is like joked about all the time today. You know, guys saying, well, you got to call me Lord because, you know, and, and it's, it's just kind of a joke. But let me ask you this. How, how far to the opposite have we pushed this where even in churches, wives are never taught to have respect for their own husbands? And that is what he's talking about in the book of Ephesians when he says the wife must see to it that she respects her husband, that she reverences her husband. There's this God-given role. You reverence your husband, not because so much of the man, but because of the God who put the man where he is. That is why you do it. And he makes it plain in verse 6 that there, there can be fear associated with this. Look at that. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 6, he says, And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Now, what kind of fear attacks a woman on this subject here? I think there are two kinds of fear 
that attack Christian women on this subject. Number one, it's this fear. What if he takes advantage of this? That's fear number one. Okay, so if I'm submitted to him, if I respect him, if I reverence him for his position, and he, he is disobedient to the word, remember that is the context here of 1 Peter chapter 3. This is a man who is a disobedient man to the word. Okay, here's the fear. What if he takes advantage of this? Well, remember something. Number one, you're supposed to be submitted to this man only to the degree that you can be submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And so it never means for you to follow your husband into sin or for you to follow your husband into things that would grieve and violate your own biblically informed conscience, anything that would dishonor Christ. It's not that. So, so you know you already have that boundary already, right? But in addition to that, if you're going to obey this, who is your hope in in any way? You're not placing your hope in your husband, are you? Look at verse 5. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. You see, your, your hope is in God. And how many people believe here today that if God wills to do it, He is big enough to correct a disobedient husband? He can do that. But I'll give you another fear that Christian women battle with. That's number two. That is the fear of what the unbelieving world will say about them. Like, you're, you're, you're to do what? You're, you're, you're to respect him? You're, you are to reverence him? Wait, 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 what did he say? He is to you what? A, a head? That, and, and so therefore you, you're supposed to submit to him? I want to tell you, listen, the unbelieving world absolutely scoffs about these things here. And I want to tell you, that is precisely one reason why we should believe these things. I want to tell you, there's a difference. There's a, a big difference between being saved and being lost. There's a big difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom that comes down from God. A big difference. And people should live according to the wisdom of God and not according to the wisdom of the world. Well, very quickly, let me just get to this last brief point. I want us to see fifth, the doing. The doing. Because in this last section here, he reminds us about how we're to carry this out. And Lord's Day after next, we're going to be dealing with parents and children. This upcoming Lord's Day, we're going to be taking a break from Ephesians. We're going to be looking doctrinally at the subject of the Lord's Supper and membership and baptism. So we will take a pause for that. But then we're going to come back to the issue of children and parents. But really what we've seen here, when we talk about this practical aspect of the doing, I want to break it down into five brief, brief sort of takeaways. Because what we've seen in this section is this. First of all, we need to remind ourselves that this requires the new birth. If you're not a Christian, you're not going to understand what we're being taught here. You, you will not want to live what is being taught here. So you must be born again. Second, even after we're saved, all of this requires the Spirit's power. If you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, if the Lord is not in control of your life on any given day, if you are not submitted to Him in a fresh way each and every day, you will not live this out. You won't do it. I want to tell you, when Christian husbands treat their wives wrong, it's because they are not filled with the Holy Spirit of God. When Christian wives treat their husbands wrong, it is because they are not filled with the Holy Spirit of God. 
and He will lead us into these things. He gave this truth, so He'll lead us to follow this truth. Third thing, and I want to stress this. This requires thinking. Listen, this is not automatic. You have to think through these issues. That's why we spend so much time studying these things. You have to understand these things. You have to live in the light of these things. So it requires your thinking. But fourth, we can say this, it requires action. Listen, if this has all just been some big talk and we all just say, well, hey, you know, that was interesting. Or, or walk out of this place and say, oh, well, you know, I, I picked up a, a couple of things here. And you don't do anything with it. It's not going to benefit you at all. So it requires more than just thinking about this these matters. We have to actually now act upon what we have learned here on this day. And I want to say this. There, there may be marriages who that are represented here, right here, right now, and you know in your hearts that things need to change. Things cannot keep going the way they're going on here. Maybe there are parents here in this place and you say, you know what? After hearing this, we we have been weighing too heavily in on our kids' lives. We, we've been handling this thing all wrong. We, we have been treating them as if they are still under our authority. And I want to tell you, if that's the case, parents, you need to repent because that needs to change. And maybe there are husbands here today and you've been thinking more about what your parents think than what your wife thinks. Or wives, you've been more concerned with what your parents think than what your husband thinks. And again, that needs to change. So what does all that mean? It means it requires action. It requires action. And in fifth, and above all else, you know what this requires? It requires a desire to please the Lord Jesus Christ. All of this teaching, all of this instruction has been in the context of the Lord Jesus Christ and His church. That is why a husband is to love his wife in this way. That is why a wife is to respond to her husband in this way. It is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and His church. And so the question is this, above all else, is that your desire today? Do you desire to please Christ? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, we thank you for these truths. Help us by your spirit to not only think about these things, but to see them lived out and fleshed out in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's by grace through faith that ye are saved. A faith that's not your own. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. The gift of God to you.